Reading from Genesis 43. Now the famine was still severe in the land. So when they had eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, Go back and buy us a little more food. But Judah said to him, The man warned us solemnly, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Because the man said to us, You will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Israel asked, Why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? They replied, The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living? He asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How were we to know? He would say, Bring your brother down here. Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the boy along with me, and we will go at once, so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed... We could have gone and returned twice. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags and take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm and a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, so that he will let your other brother and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved... I am bereaved. So the men took the gifts and double the amount of silver, and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. Well, good morning. It's good to see you this morning and be in the Lord together. I want to share a little story about uh, my life, and I just want to let you know I, I'm not ashamed to, to share this story, but. Uh, I had a blanket uh, for most of my life, and I loved my blanket. I loved carrying it around with me everywhere I went. And that blanket uh, had so many germs on it, you, you know, every mother cried out, please wash me. And I loved carrying it, and I slept with my blanket, and uh, it was security for me, it was comfort for me. I would... I would stick it over my head. It wasn't very big, but I would stick it over my head, and, and I, I pretended that, that nobody else could see me. Uh, and I'd go in a corner, and, and it was always fun for me or, or good for me when 
when I thought I was in trouble because then I think I could be in the corner and, and mom and dad wouldn't find me uh, under my blanket. And I cherished it. It was an important part of my life. And then there came a time when it was time to, to grow up. And Kina said to me, <laughs> you got to leave and cleave, leave and cleave. And so I, I did. God is in the business of growing us up. He's always at work in our lives. Growing us, maturing us, drawing us to himself, helping us to to know him more, revealing himself to us. He is in the refining business of our lives. He loves us, but he refuses to let us stay the way we are right now. That we will continue to seek him, that we will continue to draw near him, And he wants us to grow up. God also is in love with us. And he longs for relationship with us. And when we choose to to receive him, when we choose to follow him, then we become part of the family of God, don't we? We become heirs of his kingdom. We receive salvation from our Lord and Savior. We are adopted as children of God. Christ has taken up residence in our lives. And therefore, we are not living religion. We are living relationship with the living God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We are children of God who are called to obedience We're called to to live in righteousness. We're called to live holy. That means to be set apart unto Him. We're called to live in faith. And if we choose for some reason to wander away from our relationship with God, He will do anything in His amazing love for us to draw us back. Even if that means a more severe famine, like we see in Genesis 43. And I believe he does that to draw us back so that we will remain in the vine, that we will seek life and receive our source of life in the vine, rather than trying to suck life from the dirt, like the fallen grapes off the vine. He wants us to have life in him. And he wants to draw us and tie us in to the vine that we may receive life. As we study Genesis 43 this morning, I want to make a comment about famine and about hard things in life, hurricanes and and trouble and hardship. There are some who would say, well, this hurricane has come Because of your sin. And I don't think that hardship and famine and trial are necessarily because of our sin. Jesus was very clear to point out, as the disciples were walking with him and there was a blind man, 
And they said, who's saying this? His parents or himself or what took place here? And Jesus said, oh, there, there was no sin involved in this. This was just so that the glory of God might be revealed. It's Jesus who opens the eyes of the blind. It's Jesus who allows us to see the light of the world. Not because of sin. And so this famine that we see in the scriptures, God is using to deal with some sinful issues. And God can use hurricanes and famine to, to, to grow us up and he can redeem things. He can buy them back and make them for his purposes to, to help us trust him. To help us remember that he is the rock. That he is our source of life. And he can use those things in our life. And one of the things I hope for us is as we experience famine, as we experience hardship, I hope that we won't be so quick to dismiss what's going on around us. Maybe we do need to step back and say, is this trial, is this famine trying to wake me up? Is God trying to wake me up about something going on in my life? Let's not just quickly dismiss it like, oh, I haven't sinned. But take a look at the situation. But in all of the situations, you say, God, show me. Reveal to me through your spirit if there's any way in me that is displeasing to you. God, help me to hold on to you in the middle of this trying time. As we come to Genesis 43, God is in the business of growing the brothers of Joseph up, as well as Israel, the father of all of these brothers. The brothers are having to face what they did to Joseph. They threw him in the pit, sold him off to slave traders. They took him out to Egypt. The brothers in the middle of this famine are starting to come to grips with God. If you remember from last week, they're talking to each other, and as they're dealing with the famine and all that's going on and, and, and what Joseph has spoken to them, they say, it is God who has done this to us. They're starting to recognize God is in the middle of this. God is at work. It is God who is involved. He's not some distant entity. He's right in the middle of our lives. And in this famine and in this severe time, it is God who is at work. And they're starting to wrestle with that. But something hasn't taken place yet. What hasn't happened? There hasn't been repentance, true repentance. There hasn't been a revelation and a confession of all that they've done to their brother Joseph. It hasn't taken place yet. God is stirring. But they haven't come to a place of, of release yet and a place of allowing God to, to heal them and forgive them of their sins. They're still in the struggle. And so God, I think, allows a more severe famine to keep going on, to draw them to a place where they are forced to go back to Egypt where they would have to bow down to receive bread, the bread of life. God uses a more severe famine in their lives. 
It's hard when you go through this personally. We don't see all that God's doing. It's hard when you're right in the middle of the famine. Trying to understand what God is doing in the middle of this mess. Yet God is up here and he is looking upon all of life, our lives. And, and he is working, he is planning his plans for us, not to harm us, but to prosper us, to give us life, that we might turn to him and, and, and be blessed by him and receive him and, and depend on him. God sees it all. And helping us to trust in his sovereignty, that all his work is full of love and grace. All his work is full of love and grace. We don't see that when we're suffering or when we're going through famine or when God is dealing with our sin. God, why would you deal with me this way? This is hard. But someday we'll get to see the videotape and we'll get to see if you do not go to Egypt, if you do not return there, you will die. That's the simple truth. And yeah, a more severe famine is going to bring you back to that place. But if you do not go, you will die. And that is the spiritual truth of our lives. If we do not go and bow down and humble ourselves to receive the bread of life, we will die. But the good news is, if we do bow down, if we humble ourselves before the loving, living God, we will be washed. We will be forgiven. We will receive the bread of life. We will be changed forever. Forever. That's the work of God. And he was doing this work in these brothers. And he was doing this work in Israel. And he was doing this work in all of his people. And he continues to do that work in us bringing us to a place of bowing down before our king, a place of surrender, a place of release. Your life will change forever. And as we look at Genesis 43, the life that we see changed in the beginning is the life of Judah. In the middle of the severe famine, Judah is really wrestling. And, and, and he's dealing with his father, Israel has no intention of letting Benjamin go back to Joseph. Benjamin's his beloved, right? Benjamin and Joseph were born to Rachel, the one he loved the most. So these two brothers and these sons are his dearest ones. He lost Joseph, he thinks. Now he has Benjamin. That's all that he's holding on to. He has no intention of sending him out where he might die before this reigning leader he doesn't know is Joseph. And so Judah steps in. Judah steps in, in verse 3. And Judah speaks to his father. Judah steps up. This is the guy who wanted nothing to do with his family. This is the guy who split. This is the guy who could care less about the rest of them. This is the guy who was fed up with Israel and his whining over just everything. He had enough. And so he took off. And now we see 
Israel facing his son Judah, who has stepped up into this family. And he's fully immersed. He has changed. Have you known people like this? People who have grown up and changed. Maybe you're one of them. I went to Westmont College in Santa Barbara, Christian Liberal Arts College, dedicated on bringing us truth and growing us up in the Word and growing us up as Christian men and women who would impact the world for Jesus Christ. And there was a guy in my freshman hall in Page Hall. His name was David. David wanted nothing to do with God. He was basically forced to go to Westmont by his parents who who were hoping that somehow Westmont would fix him. This guy, he, he had the mouth of a sailor. He would always sneak in booze into his dorm room. He was always getting work hours, which were when you break the rules, you'd be assigned a duty on campus. He, he had hundreds of work hours. He would never go to chapel. He could care less. He would mock us when we'd have Bible studies together. So we're just a bunch of fluffy Christians. and That was his life. I couldn't stand David. I really wanted to beat the tar out of him. And, and he really drove me nuts. And, 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 you know, this guy's like, why are you here? Just go away. And, again, he got kicked off campus several times for his behavior. Whole freshman year went on like this. And we thought for sure we would never see David again. Sophomore year, he shows up again. And you're like, oh, you've got to be kidding. He's there. Sophomore year, he's pretty mellow. There's not really any great disturbances, but he still doesn't really want anything to do with God. He just kind of is hanging out with us, and, and now we're in Arlington Hall. Another year goes by. Junior year shows up at campus. David becomes the leader of all campus ministries. David ends up taking hundreds of students to Mexico to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. David starts to reach out to UCSB and to Santa Barbara City College and starts to lead students to Christ all over the place. David takes those kids on campus that were just like him his freshman year and starts having a Bible study with them so that they might know Jesus Christ. David came to know the love of Jesus because God kept doing his work on his heart and kept ministering to him. And he came to a place where he finally surrendered and said, here's my life. That's God's continual work. And that's what he's doing with Judah. He's chipping away at that hard soil of his heart. Judah was a tough guy. Again, he left the family. He went and married a Canaanite woman. He became fully immersed in the the pagan culture of the Canaanites. His children were so evil that that God killed them. He took them out of the picture. They were so evil that Judah, Judah in his fatherhood had nothing to do to train up his children in righteousness. They were absolute opposite. They were wicked to the core. God took them out. He ends up being one who would just grab a prostitute whenever he felt like it. And on one occasion, he ends up grabbing Tamar, who's sitting by the city gate, thinking she's a temple prostitute, and and ends up having relations with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. This is Judah. He could care less about God. He wanted nothing to do with him. 
but famine and harsh words from Joseph and prison, solitude, started to work on Judah. God is speaking to his heart. God is drawing him to himself. Just like he does for you and me. This is a hard man. If you think you know someone in your life that you go to yourself, there's no way God will break through this person. Then you do not know the transforming power of Jesus Christ. You do not know the redeeming work of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. God is always at work in the hearts of man. And the question is, will we receive and will we surrender unto him that we might have life and be in the vine? Judah was tough, but God was working. And we see a changed life in Judah. He steps up in his care for the family. He steps up basically being in the role of Israel. He becomes kind of the father of the family. He cares now about the family. He reminds Israel, listen, this, this guy, the man, he said he won't show his face to us. He took an oath, and it was a serious oath. He had testimony. He had witness. It was serious. If you do not come back with Benjamin, you will not see our, my face. You will not receive bread. Simeon will stay in prison. And so Judah says to Israel, send the boy. Judah is the one who's starting to recognize that we must go before the man and bow down in order to have bread. Judah sees that. Israel's struggling with it. Judah says we must go immediately. It has the idea of we will rise up and we will go now. We must go in order that we live. We must humble ourselves before the man. Judah's not thinking about himself. He's thinking about the whole family. He's thinking about what's taking place with all the young ones. And Judah steps in and says, I will offer my life as a pledge to you. I will cover Benjamin. I will be the protector of him. And and it's upon me if I do not. For all the rest of my days, it will be upon me. I will basically, is what he's saying, I will give my life for Benjamin to guard his. And he's saying this to Israel. Israel has said, and we find out later in Genesis 44, Israel has said this, Oh, if you take this one from me too, Benjamin, if harm comes to him, you will bring gray head down to the grave, my gray head down to the grave in misery. That's Israel's words to Judah. And so Judah takes very seriously... I give my life for Benjamin's. I will cover this. This is Judah who could care less about God or his family. Do you see what's going on here? He's changed. God is working on him. Judah could have been jealous, couldn't he? You favor Benjamin over the rest of us. To heck with you guys. Tired of your favoritism. But Judah has compassion. 
And Judah is tender towards Israel. Judah has compassion. This is the guy who wiped out the Shechemites. Bloody massacre. Judah is changed from within. Judah rises up, and he's the one in Genesis 44 who stands before Joseph and listen to what he says to Joseph. Your servant has guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. And I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you. My father, all of my life, I will bear that blame. So now then, please let your servant, Judah, remain here as my Lord's slave, as Joseph's slave, in place of the boy, Benjamin. And let Benjamin return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No! Do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. God has worked an amazing work in Judah's life. And we're starting to see his change and his sacrifice. He reflects Christ here, doesn't he? My life for Benjamin's. That's the work of Jesus. He transforms us. He changes us from within. The Greek is metamorphous. He, he, he takes us and creates a whole new creation. That's who we become in Christ. That's who Judah is becoming as he's starting to learn to, to, to surrender and to release all of his power and his anger and his pride and he's releasing it under God and we're seeing him step up and be the one who will be the sacrifice. Judah, let us not forget that the line of Messiah comes through Judah. And may we not forget the image that John had as he cried out in Revelation, who is worthy to open the scroll? Ah, here is one who is worthy. He is the Lion of Judah. God did a transformational work. As I think about Judah's life, and I think about this change that goes on, the truth is, sometimes wandering children need to experience the famine. It's just true. We need to struggle and wrestle with what we're doing. We need to deal with our sin. But you know what, dear body? Here's one of the things that we need to think about. We need to let people change. We need to let people come out of the famine. We sometimes, in our self-righteousness, think, well, let's just keep them in the famine. They deserve to deal with their junk. And we don't think in our minds that, guess what? God might be doing a great work here. And now let's encourage them in, in, in their new journey as they change because God is at work. Sometimes we hold them down. We think we're better than they are for some reason. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden you just trust that person, right? There's some deep wounds. But that if God is getting a hold of them, that you would allow them to actually grow up and be refined and be transformed by the saving power of Jesus Christ. We need to ask God to deal with us when we're just keeping people in the famine. It would be like Barnabas who came alongside Paul 
How could you trust Paul? He just wiped out our good friends. He murdered them. But Barnabas, through the power of God, came alongside and he knew, I'm going to walk with this guy. I see transformation. I don't think Barnabas totally trusted him. Again, the guy's killing Christians. But he walked with him. And he, he's known as the son of encouragement, Barnabas is. And then as we watch the scriptures, we see Barnabas, who was a great leader, he starts to release his leadership unto Paul. And then Paul grows into the man that God intended him to be, transformed on the road to Damascus. What if we just left him on that road? You can never amount to anything, Paul. Have you forgot the resurrection, transformational power of our living God? Did you forget who Paul was? You don't think God is at work? We need to wake up to the spiritual things going on around us. This is God's work. For God so loved the world that he sent his son. That if we should believe upon him, we would not perish, but we would have life. God does a beautiful work. And he does a work on Judah. And he's doing a work on Israel starting to continue to finish this process with him. You look at Israel's life and you go, wait a second, this is Israel, this is Jacob who has changed into Israel. This is, this is a mature saint. This is a guy who has walked with the Lord for a long, long time. And God's doing work on Israel? I'm confident of this, Paul says, that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He who began the good work in you is going to continue that work. This is the promise. God keeps growing us up. God keeps drawing us to himself. God keeps maturing us. He is perfecting us. Israel, what a journey he's had, and God is still doing the work. Israel, the one born Jacob, twins with Esau. He stole his brother's birthright. He deceived his father Isaac in order to get the blessing. And then he runs off to Laban's. He escapes because Esau is mad as heck and he's going to tear after him and kill him. He ends up in the desert and he's putting his head on a rock. And all of a sudden he's looking up to the sky and he sees angels coming up and down, descending from God, and he sees the face of God. And God ministers to him in this place and he says, I will name this place Bethel. This is the house of God. And he's growing in his dependence and his trust. And God renews his covenant with Israel. And he says, listen, here's what's going on. I will bless you. Your descendants will be many. And Jacob, don't you forget, I will be with you. That's who I am. And Jacob is growing up. And then he goes and he falls in love with Rachel. And he works hard for her for so many years. But Leah and Laban deceive him. And they sneak Leah into the tent to where he conceives children, and so out of this relations come the children of Israel from Leah, and then from the, the concubine or the uh, maidservants of Leah and of Rachel come the rest of the family of Israel. And then eventually, Rachel has her own children, Benjamin and Joseph. He is learning to live and to trust God. The tribes of Israel are being born Jacob then begins to have success with his herds. 
and he's trusting God, and yet Laban wants all that he's doing, and so Jacob takes off. He takes off again, and, and he ends up at a place where he wrestles with God. He's struggling with the Lord, trying to understand who he is. He says, tell me your name. Why do you need my name, God says. And he starts to realize, I've been wrestling with the Lord. I will name this place Peniel. Certainly, I have seen the face of God. And we have dealt face to face, and I have survived. Then he has to go from there and face his brother Esau. And he lives at peace, at least, with Esau. And then he settles right outside of Shechem. And his daughter goes into town, Dinah, and then she's raped. And then the brothers go out and they wipe out the Shechemites. This is the journey of Jacob. And then he goes and he lives in the land of his father Isaac in Canaan until we come upon this place where we arrive upon a famine in the land where God is still doing his work with Jacob. And it seems like Jacob is still wrestling with God. Even in all of this journey, sometimes we're at that place. We've had a lot of life with Christ. Still wrestling. What's the wrestle? What's going on in this story? Why isn't he at peace and in trust and, and trusting God to do the work that he said and, and realizing that God is with him? Why isn't he at that place of receiving the full blessing from God that God wants to give him, but there's something in his life that he is not letting go of? He feels like everything is against him. He cries that out. You, you've taken everything from me. Everything is against me. And he seems distant from God. What's holding him back after this whole journey? Remember, God is still at work. And he's still in the business of growing us up. And he shows us those dark corners, like Adrian mentioned, that maybe we need to look into. And I believe for Jacob, for Israel, his relationship with God was being hindered because Benjamin was everything to him at this point in his life. Benjamin was his security. Benjamin was his companionship. Benjamin was his joy. Benjamin was everything for him. And I believe God was bringing him to a place in this more severe famine to where he would have to release and say goodbye to Benjamin. Even our children can become our place of worship. Even our children, we end up thinking that that's what life is all about. And God is stripping that away bringing Jacob, Israel, to a place of surrender, to a place of release. And that's what he's holding on to. And I think we have to ask the Lord this morning, what is it? What is it that I'm holding on to? There shall be no other gods before me, the Lord God says. There shall be nothing else that you are depending on for life, that you are looking to for, for your whole being, that this is life, and, and, and for some reason you trust in this 
a child or your position or your power. He says, release Benjamin. And he does. He struggles at first. He wrestles with it. Judah reminds him, the man demands Benjamin. The man demands him. God demands that from us. You see, we want all from God. But we're not willing to give him all. We want to take everything. We want to receive everything from him, and yet we won't surrender at all. We have to say goodbye to Ben. We have to release. We see Israel, I believe, finally surrendering. And here's why. A couple things I see. Israel is named Israel in this chapter. If you remember, we talked about all throughout Genesis, you're going to see Israel named Jacob. The narrator will use Jacob when he's living as Jacob, as the deceiver, as the one who doesn't trust or depend or look to God. And then the narrator will switch over to Israel and it goes back and forth. You'll continue to see it in the scriptures. It's unique. We don't see that with Abraham and those guys. It's unique unto Jacob himself. And I believe the narrator uses Israel here because he's finally living as Israel. I wrestle with God, but I surrender to God. And he's still growing. He says, if it must be, go ahead and let's take him gifts. You know, maybe he's trying to buy him off. He's still wrestling with that. But I see the real transformation with Israel in verse 14, where he finally surrenders, I believe. And may God Almighty, may El Shaddai, a calling upon the Lord that he hasn't done, we haven't seen in a while, may he grant you mercy before the man so that he will let our brother Benjamin come back with you. And then he says this, As for me, if I am bereaved, if I lose my child, my children, then I am bereaved. That's huge. That's a place of absolute loneliness. Do you understand? Benjamin's all he's got left. You're taking Benjamin too? He would stay home and there would be nobody. All the sons, he's already got one in prison. I really believe it's a place of surrender. If God is for me, and he is, if God is sovereign, and he is, then if it means loss of my children, then it does. Because my life is yours, God. My life is yours. And he says goodbye to Benjamin. We must. The man demands it. The man demands that you give up Benjamin in order to receive the bread of life. You've got to release and surrender yourself unto God. As he continues to do that work in us, drawing us unto himself in his love and in his grace. And what Israel doesn't realize yet is that when his he releases Benjamin. When there is release, this beautiful painting comes, and Jackson will give us this. But when he releases, there is restoration to come. And when he releases Benjamin, 
there is reconciliation that will come. And when he releases Benjamin, there is nude relationships with his sons. And when he releases Benjamin, there is reunion with Joseph. God is calling us to a place of surrender. And let God's beautiful work in our lives continue to do its work that we might surrender all to him. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you for your word. And I thank you for your work in our lives, Father. Even sometimes it's hard. And we don't understand what you're doing. But Father, I pray that your spirit would show us any way in us that is against you. And I pray that your spirit would reveal to us if we're holding on to Benjamin. If there's something that is is keeping us back from, from, from receiving all that you want us to receive from you. Help us to to have all of our dependence upon you, Father. Help us to, to remain in the vine. Tie us in, Lord. We want to receive life from you. In your precious name, amen.